five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing on this Tuesday morning? Awesome. It is now, I believe, less than four weeks till spring practice starts. That's crazy. If it was less than four weeks till fall camp starts, it'd be about like July 10th. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> that means nothing. <laughs> that means absolutely nothing. But uh, it's, 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 it's exciting to say. I'm pretty pumped um, because I think there's a lot of storylines that's going to be you know, being talked about in the spring. And, you know, we haven't really discussed in detail uh, a lot of what's happened recently. You know, you got the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, you know, Tommy Reese, Kevin Steele coming back uh, on defense. You've got, you know, kind of a a brain trust being built on offense Mm -hmm. um, as far as some of the analysts that are being brought in. So I thought that was interesting. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We also got some mailbag questions, and typically what we're going to do, we're going to start making this podcast weekly again. Probably not not going to do two episodes a week. Maybe at a certain point down the line we can get there, um, but for now we're going to try to make it once a week, and we're going to be talking about you know kind of our own topics that we come up with, but we're also going to be taking some of the mailbag questions that I get that I turn into an article from some of the, the subscribers over at the Talk of Champions message boards for Bama Insider. We're going to take some of those questions and we're going to kind of elaborate and and dive in a little bit further into some of those. Um, And we're going to try to wrap up pretty much every episode with that. But with this particular episode, I think I've got three questions that I thought we'd talk about. So I think that's going to be pretty fun. But first of all, what are your thoughts on, you know, kind of the coaching staff and and where Alabama is currently, you know, trying to take things? Yeah, I, I think uh, both hires, while while looking completely dissimilar, because you hired a 30-year-old on one side of the ball and a 64-year-old on the other side of the ball, uh, one guy was a complete shock from outside the program. The other one's a long-time saving guy. So they couldn't look completely different on, on the surface. But when you dive into it, Clint, I think I think the message is being sent by both of these hires, which is, uh, a return to, to physicality. And that is not to say, I, I think I think one thing that's been over-exaggerated is that Alabama went to all finesse ball. That, that's not really true. I think Alabama did a, actually a great job, that might surprise some people, a great job of when they moved in 2018 to this wide open offense and more almost completely committed to spread principles and tempo with the quarterback, you know, first Tua and then then Mac and then Bryce, uh, and, and you just kind of went to this spread tempo thing, and 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 it was an explosion of points and short possessions and explosive plays. I think considering that Alabama did a very good job of retaining physicality because you still had Najee Harris and B Rob as physical backs until this past season. You still had a defense that was highly rated nationally, not what Alabama's used to, but a top 10 defense, a top 15 defense is pretty good. And it's hard to do when you're playing that style of offense. So I think Alabama did a good job, actually, of retaining physicality. But in these two coordinator hires, Clint, I see Nick Saban saying, 
hey, we might have done a good job being a little physical, but we got to be more physical than that. I, I want to go back to sort of just out physicaling a bully ball. That's may maybe a better way to put a little bit more bully ball on offense, which means more of a commitment to the run game, more of a commitment to RPOs, more of a commitment to ball control, which is going to help my defense, which is also returning to its roots with Kevin Steele. You can't return to its roots anymore than rehiring the very first defensive coordinator he ever had, you know, in the program and Kevin Steele. So I, I, I hate calling it a return to physicality because that makes it sound like Alabama abandoned all of it and what the physical football team for five years. I would say last season, Alabama wasn't as physical as they normally are, largely personnel. Some offensive scheme led to that. But this is a statement, Clint. Kevin Steele plus Tommy Reese equals a more physical football team. Yeah, I think it was uh, it was more of a situation where there were moments where you needed to be able to run the football that Alabama couldn't run the football. Uh, there were moments where Alabama needed to stop the opposing team from running the football, and they couldn't do it. You know, Tennessee, LSU, one of the big issues that Alabama had was that LSU and Tennessee were both having success on the ground, whether it be through quarterback run or, you know, running back. And when they're able to have success that way, you're not forcing them to be one-dimensional, and both quarterbacks are capable of throwing the football, especially Hinn and Hooker. So you are putting yourself at a major disadvantage by not being able to stop the run in either one of those games. Uh, so I think that that is kind of – I completely agree. I don't think they were some soft team. They were maybe softer than some of the Alabama defenses and, and, and run games that we've seen in the past. But I wouldn't call them soft by any means, you know, compared to the rest of college football. You know, soft is – is Ole Miss's defense under Lane Kiffin or their defenses, right? I mean, where it's just – it's right. Tennessee last year had an amazing offense that could score with literally anybody. Their defense was soft. They had some good players. But, they, I mean, they it was – you'd have more difficulty going against air at times. And so, yeah, I think that that's something, you know, when you compare Alabama to that, they still had a fairly effective defense despite the fact that they got more current with the offense. The problem is, is that we're learning that you can kind of – get back or, or stay in that physical lane while also being able to, you know, modernize it a little bit and still being effective. I also think it's interesting with the, uh, the analyst hires, you know, you've got Derek Dooley, you've added John McNulty, who was a, you know, former uh, offensive coordinator at Boston college. You know, he's been at Rutgers. Uh, he was the Notre Dame tight end coach a couple of years ago when, when Tommy Reese first became the offensive coordinator and then Ken Wisenhunt, who has been a, an analyst for Penn State, but he spent forever in the NFL. Arizona Cardinals head coach, Tennessee Titans head coach. I think that when you've got a 30-year-old like Tommy Reese, who doesn't have a ton of offensive coordinator experience or coaching experience in general, I think one of the big issues at Notre Dame was he didn't have kind of that brain trust to help him along as far as game planning and things like that. So I like the fact that they've gotten – you know, former offensive coordinators and former head coaches and all this stuff and, and guys that just understand offense and they've put together kind of a brain trust. And I really think that's going to help Tommy Reese. Oh, absolutely. I'm excited about that big time. I mean, Ken Wisenhunt, McNulty, already having Derek Dooley on staff. And then you got the offensive guys that have been around. I mean, Wolford, Wolford's no, no pup himself. He's been around. Uh, he's seen a lot. Uh, Holman Wiggins been around this program a while. Robert Gillespie now are very comfortable as the Alabama running back coach, you still got Joe Cox, who's a young guy tight end. But now look at all that tight end help 
you know, when you have McNulty, even Wisenhunt's a tight end guy. And uh, I know that the question's really about the support staff and, 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 and about bringing in that experience and how that's going to help Tommy Reese. No question. No question. It's like, had to have been a concern for Nick Saban. I mean, it had to have been like, gosh, I'm really hiring a 30, 31 year old guy to run my, my offense. How can I put people around him to account for his lack of experience and, Boy, home run, home run. Not only do you make hires, you make hires Tommy Reese is comfortable with because Tommy Reese has worked with Ken Wisenhunt in the past. So so that's interesting. But but the whole point about Wisenhunt and McNulty and Derek Dooley, they're all guys that have coached tight end, all of them. And, and, and that's what made me have, have led to this thought, Clint. And that is, if you want to know what an offense's identity is easily, without a 30-minute sit-down with the head coach or the offensive coordinator, if you just want to know, okay, tell me about this offense and what it does, here is a simple – I'll help everybody crack the code, you know, uh, and that is tell me what the tight end does because that that's, that's how you know everything because everybody's got five offensive linemen. Everybody's got a quarterback. Everybody lines up, you know, a back in the backfield. And then some teams play two, three, or four receivers. But when you know what the tight end does, now you know everything. Is your tight end a guy that never leaves the field and he's six foot five and he's 250 pounds? Okay, this is a physical offense that runs a football. That's what they do. They run, their tight end is a sixth offensive lineman that blocks the edge so there's going to be RPOs. There's going to be off-tackle runs. It's a physical offense. If your tight end is, hey, let's just use a word, let's use, use a phrase every Alabama fan knows, Amari Nablack. Let's say Amari Nablack is your tight end, and he is out there for 60 minutes, sometimes lined up at tight end, sometimes flex, sometimes in the backfield. You've got to run and gun, spread it out. Think your tight end is an extra receiver. He's not an extra tight end. He's an extra receiver. You're spread, you're throw it. I hate to use the word finesse, but that's a finesse offense. You're, you're, you're not making a commitment to running the football if your idea of the tight end for 60 minutes is, is not black. Well, I think having all these tight end coaches in the room, Clint, is really helping define what this Alabama offense is. And, and one thing it can be is versatile. Because you're probably not at Alabama this fall using C.J. Dupree alone. You're probably not lining up Dupree and Miles Kitzelman all the time. But you can be very flexible because you have Dupree and Kitzelman. You also have Amari Nablack. You also have Robbie Oos, who's a very good H tight end, a move tight end that can flex or line up in the backfield. And I think having all these tight end guys and having all those tight ends tells me, it's a return to physicality. It's an emphasis on the tight end because we're going to be either very physical or we can substitute. And now we're back to what we've been doing for five years. And I think if you can do both, man, you're, you're, you're really tough to defend. Although you're asking a lot of the offense to be, you know, both at a flip of a, a switch and just one substitution. But I just see so much tight end stuff going on right now in terms of who you're hiring. Tommy Reese coming from, a program that used its tight end better than anyone in the country, not named Georgia, and then hiring tight end specialists. Oh, and by the way, it looks like the plan is we're going to play as many as four tight ends with the first team. Well, yeah, I mean, probably what should have been our first clue with the entire thing was the the pursuit of C.J. Dupree because a lot of people, and my, kind of myself included, 
you know, Robbie Oots, it kind of really started to get better down the stretch. He was a guy that could be that move tight end, but I think he's big enough. You know, he's 6'4", 258 pounds. I think he can line up in line. I think he's a, a serviceable blocker. So it's like you have that guy. You have a, a former five-star, according to Don Three, and Amari Black, who fans are, are, are wanting to see. They wanted to see him last year. Uh, a lot of people, myself included, early on thought he could be an early contributor for this offense, and it ended up not working out that way. Now he's going to be going into year two, and he should be able to get bigger and stronger, and fans are like, that can be a heck of a one-two punch there. And then you got Miles Ketzelman, who who still has a lot of raw ability, and you've also recruited other tight ends. You know, you got Ty Lockwood committed, who's a a very uh, highly thought of tight end. You got two others that you added in Danny Lewis and Elijah Brown. And despite all of that, Alabama said we need something. We need more at that position. And, and I think the reason that they felt like they needed more was because they knew where they wanted to take this offense and they knew what it was going to take and what kind of tight end you needed. And I think a guy like CJ Dupree really fits that because he can, he, we know he can be that inline tight end. He spends a lot of his snaps or he spent a lot of his snaps at Maryland as an inline guy, but he's also a very underrated receiver. Um, I think you can flex him out a little bit more. I think, I think he could be a red zone weapon. And I'm not saying that they had Tommy Reese in mind this entire time, but I do think they wanted to put a bigger emphasis on the tight end position because Nick Saban has talked so much about the mismatch problems that you can create with tight ends. And when you look at Georgia, I know we always bring up Georgia and I get that frustrates fans, but they found a combination of tight ends that makes it damn near impossible to cover them. Because if you've got that unicorn that can cover a Brock Bowers, you know, who's being flexed and moved around a lot. Okay. That's great. Now do you have somebody for Darnell Washington? Uh, it's just, it's a lot more difficult. So I think Nick Saban sees that. He has always talked about the importance of that position, and I think it became something that they really wanted to get back to or, you know, really implement it more in the offense. Absolutely, and uh, same thought. When I, I first heard the C.J. Dupree thing and, and looked into him, at first I was a little, like, surprised uh, that this, you know, for a lot of people don't know this, and I don't mean it as, as like, y'all just might be surprised to learn C.J. was actually, Maryland's second tight end last year. He, he was their tight end, too. They had another tight end that played more snaps. It was kind of their main tight end. C.J. was the second guy. That's why C.J. was in the transfer portal to be in with. He probably felt like, hey, I, I should be a tight end one, and I can be a tight end one in some good places. I mean, look who was trying to sign him, Alabama and Ohio State, two of the top three programs in college football. You know, so I think C.J. Dupree felt like, Hey, I'm I I deserve a bigger role. I I I, I can play a bigger role even at, at a bigger place. Uh, but he was Maryland's uh, tight end too, and so I, at first on the surface because of that alone, I was like, gosh, I was sort of high on Oost and hoping Amari would be more ready. And even Miles Kitzelman last year played with the first team and looked like a guy that'd be at least pretty good in short yardage. Uh, you know why 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 are we spending a transfer portal scholarship on on, on this guy? But now it just all makes perfect sense, Clint. Now, now it just, just as you said, what a fit. He's a fit with Tommy Reese. He's a fit in what we're going to do with the offense. He makes us so versatile. And it's not a Brock Bauer situation. It's not a Michael Mayer. It's not like Tommy Reese is looking at C.J. Dupree and going, oh, I've got another Michael. It's not that at all. But what it is is it's the final piece of the puzzle. It's the fine, It's what you were missing. It's now it's, man, you want to talk about a good – pair of blockers how about cj at the y while you have robbie at the h i mean now you've got that's that's a good big group there 
You know, I mean, now, now you've really got tight end blocking cover. And if you want to use the tight end as a weapon and still have two tight ends out there, you could have CJ, who's a weapon, and Amari, you know, in at the H. Now you've got two tight ends that you have to cover. And like you said, you know, that worked so well for Georgia. So I, I see tight end as a weapon. I see tight end as, as an emphasis, but not an emphasis in terms of huge reception numbers. It's an emphasis in terms of the message that we're sending. What are we going to be? What are we going to do? Now we can be more physical at tight end. And now we can also have the tight end as a weapon uh, too. And uh, and we've got guys in the building in Reese and Wisenhunt and McNulty and Dooley that really know how to emphasize the position and use it. Well, this is not a, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg. It's really not. And you want to know why? What was Alabama, who, who was Alabama trying to get last year? out of the transfer portal that was not even in the transfer oh. portal. There was all these rumors. Dalton Kincaid, who's going to go in the first round of the draft. Yep. I mean, they really – they had Cameron Latou coming back, who everybody thought right. very highly of. If, but right. Alabama said, we, we man, I mean, and granted, I'm not saying that they went – they were. there's a lot of smoke and, and, and rumors, and I don't know if there was anything ever official on that front, but my point is I think there was a reason that connection was being made. And and I think yep. that there was a reason that even though Alabama already had Cameron Latou in the fold, they're like, hey, getting two dynamic tight ends, getting guys who are balanced, the versatility. Like I said, you see Darnell Washington, you see, you know, Brock Bowers, and you say, hey, you can make two tight ends work. If you've got enough athleticism and stuff, really, that's kind of – and here's the thing. Georgia doesn't have Alabama's receivers. So right. if you can bring in or get not that caliber, it's, you're not going to find a Darnell Washington, you know, anywhere. You're not going to find a Brock Bowers even more so just anywhere. But if you can get that combination that can strain defenses with two tight ends and have those mismatch problems on top of having Alabama's dynamic receivers, how in the world are you supposed to stop that? You know, and, right. so I, and I think for your run game and just having the bigger bodies and being able to run two tight end sets, a lot of 12 personnel, I think, it, you know, you can help your run game on that front. So, you know, I, yeah, the, I think that it was way before Tommy Reese or targeting that style of coordinator that Nick Saban wanted to get back to, you know, having more of that presence, you know, multi-tight end presence. And so I do think that they're, uh, you know, starting to move in that direction. Um, anything else on this topic before we get moved on to the uh, mailback questions? No, no, that's good. That's that's good. I, um, I, I think I think uh, I think I learned some stuff there myself. Well, um, mm-hmm. we'll we'll go ahead and try to learn some more, and and you know at least expand on some of the stuff that we were given. Now, granted, this first question, I thought it was very interesting. It wasn't posted under the mailbag; uh, it was on another thread. But I, I thought it was interesting enough where I wanted to get your take on it. And that comes from Bamaloo, and he asked, not looking to bash prior coaches and players, but any thoughts on any possible changes with our front seven and the new defensive coaching staff. Assume we are going to run the same formations, schemes, etc., but just try to be better and more physical. Was there anything coaching-wise which may have held back the defensive line or may push the defensive line forward? Do you agree that we often play two defensive linemen in order to play our best players, Will in Dallas, and how has the two defensive line player formation affected our defensive line? Well, that's a lot. That's like uh, Bamaloo with uh, about 25 questions. It all sort of it get, gets back to one thing in my mind, and, and they're very good questions, and we, we could do the whole show just on those questions, and maybe we'll do that <laughs> next week because <laughs> that's a lot. 
But uh, I, I know my thought, first of all, bringing in Kevin Steele, it never needed to be questioned in the first place, but Nick Saban's not, not quitting what he's always done. He's not stopping what he's always done. And by the way, the defense that Nick Saban has always run has led to the greatest dynasty in the history of the sport. So it would be really dumb to do anything different. What to, to, to want to throw out Nick Saban's defense is basically saying, Hey, Mr. I'm the greatest that's ever done this. You've been doing it all wrong. I mean, so mm-hmm. it, it was going to be the Nick Saban defense, no matter who the hire was, but the new hires, Kevin Steele, which is Nick Saban with the bugle horn saying, we're not changing Nick Saban's defense. We're, we're running the Saban defense. I'm bringing in a guy that knows how to run my defense as good as anyone uh, in, in terms of knowing the scheme and knowing what Saban wants to do. That's number one. Number two, so, so nothing in the scheme, the grand scheme is still a 3-4, still a 3-4 over under, still called a 3-4, but most of the time an outside linebacker is lined up. On, it looks like an even man front because a linebacker is lined up you know, as a defensive end, uh, but also versatile. It's three, four, you can drop back. We're primarily in nickel. All that stuff's not really going to change. But here's what will change, and it is a big change. And that's, I think, the two defensive linemen look that we saw a lot last year. And by two defensive linemen look, so much gets lost in semantics. We could spend the whole show on this. I don't think me and Clint or anyone's ever saying Alabama runs formations with two defensive linemen. no. It, it, it was a four-man front. It was just who the personnel was. Two, two guys up front were usually defensive linemen from Freddie Roach's group, and two guys up front were outside linebackers from Coleman Hutzler's group. Um, Alabama did that last year to get its best 11 on the field. We predicted it all last spring and summer. People that listen to Bama on three show, you heard all spring and summer, me and Clint saying, Alabama's done this in the past. They've played nickel rabbits in the past. It's been rare, but they've done it. But you can expect a whole lot more of it this fall. We were right. As a matter of fact, we were extremely right. They they ran nickel rabbits a whole lot more than, than even we anticipated. It sort of became the base look or the look that we ran more often than any other. But it wasn't about Nick Saban going, you know what? I think I'd like to be less physical and lighter. It wasn't about that. It was about... I'm not going to have Dallas Turner sitting on the sideline while I have a lesser player on the field. I want my best 11 players on the field. And there is no question that Will Anderson and Dallas Turner were among his best 11. In fact, Will Anderson and Dallas Turner were probably among his best four, if not his, his best five players, period, on the defense. And it wasn't a first. For everybody upset at Golding, Alabama and Nick Saban had done this in the past. In 2016, is the second most usage of nickel rabbits. And again, it was about getting Tim Williams and Ryan Anderson on the field and not wanting to take one of them off. That was Jeremy Pruitt, the beloved Jeremy Pruitt that all of you wanted to hire. He ran this defense too. He ran this personnel. Look, it's all about getting the best 11 on the field. And in that vein, I happen to think, and Clint did a great job in his piece that he wrote talking about Chris Braswell. He had a really good explanation about Chris Braswell, about how even at this point in his career, Braswell's still shown he's just more of a third down pass rusher than anything else. Uh, He hasn't shown or demonstrated that he's a great every down outside linebacker. Not yet. This could be the year. And I, I do believe we'll see a better Braswell than ever before. But the point being, because of that great point that Clint made in his piece that he published this morning on Bama Insider Tuesday morning, uh, 
I don't think Chris Braswell's one of the best 11 all the time. And but so for that reason alone, I think it's a return to three defensive linemen as the most often package. It's not what you do on every single down, no matter the situation. But in terms of what you'll most often see, Bamaloo, is a return to three defensive linemen that will usually be, as a guess, Otis, Aboigby, and Tim Smith, and then Dallas Turner lined up, you know, make, making it appear as a front four, Dallas Turner. And then you bring in Chris Braswell in the passing situations, and, and it's more of a dime rabbit as opposed to nickel rabbit situation. So, yeah, I think that'll be the biggest change that's obvious to fans is fewer, not eradication, but fewer two defensive linemen group groupings and more three defensive linemen groupings, which is what we've looked like traditionally under Nick Saban. One of the things that I don't think people talk about enough when it comes to the way that Alabama deployed its defense last year is when you look at 2021, when you look at some of these other offenses that Alabama has had in recent years where they're going a lot more, you know, nickel defense, the offense puts up points, you know, so my point here is that if your offense is scoring, the other team is constantly playing from behind and trying to play catch up. How do you do that? It's by throwing the football. So you can kind of, if you can implement that style of play and you can get early leads, you kind of set yourself up where the opposing offense is going to be throwing the football more. You can put your, you know, kind of nickel rabbits, dime rabbits package out there, get a little bit smaller along your defensive front because you're going to be pinning your ears back and getting after the quarterback, which is exactly what that style of play, that's exactly what the cheetah package was supposed to do. You know, and I think that if Alabama stops the run more effectively on early downs, which they really struggle to do in some of these big games that we talked about, you're able to deploy that cheetah package in more effective situations. Like it, it felt like that they, it wasn't as big of a package, I think, as Alabama had hoped. A lot of that was, you know, there were some times where the offense came out a little bit flat, you know, Texas in particular, where, you know, you've got to continue to, you know, play them straight up. You know, Texas is going to run the football with B. John Robinson. And and if you're not having to play from behind, then you're not putting a ton on the, the shoulder of the quarterback who was supposed to be a young quarterback. And you're not able to play off of that. But, you know, um, I think that the cheetah package for one teams, you know, especially those who like to take chances and, you know, hey, if it's third and eight, if we can pick up four or five yards, we're going for it on fourth down because we're playing Alabama and Alabama got caught in some situations where, you know, you're in the cheetah package and third and long, you give up success, you know, on a run play on what should be a passing play normally would be. But then the offense goes tempo. You can't make any substitutions. And now you're in a short yardage situation. And you can't get that person off the field. And so it's it's more vulnerable, you know. And and so I think that that's something that Alabama maybe they didn't take into account as much. You know, they're Alabama. Teams are going to take more chances against your your team and, and playing against you than really anybody else. So I think that that also plays into it a little bit as well. But, Jimmy, when, when you think of Kevin Steele, as far as defenses are concerned, What's the first defense that comes to your mind? Auburn defense. Uh, Auburn, what he did at Auburn, uh, running running the Nick Saban defense, by the way. I mean, that, that was a scheme. That was what that was all his defense. You know, Gus didn't have anything to do with the defense, uh, you know, with his defensive coordinators ran their show on that side of the ball. So it was Kevin Steele's show on that side of the ball. And during his four to five seasons, he was at Auburn. Their defense was outstanding. 
particularly when you factor in their personnel. Their personnel wasn't anything like what Alabama's got, what Georgia's got now. Their personnel was nothing like that, yet they put up numbers consistently year after year after year that competed with Alabama and Georgia to be the best defense in, in this league. Uh, what he did there was, uh, was, was really remarkable, and I remember uh, as an Alabama fan being very impressed uh, and then, then once we hired Kevin Steele and I went back and reviewed those numbers, it, the consistency knocked me out. I mean, I mean, they were very, very good year after year. Their numbers in the final season fell off. But, yeah, they fired the head coach midseason. It was a disastrous season. You can't really blame the numbers uh, that year on Kevin Steele because that was the year it all fell apart and they had to fire a coach that had been there for like eight years and they fired him in midseason. So I, I, I'm just real impressed with the consistency year after year, Auburn was good. They were good or very good on defense every year that Kevin Steele was there. I completely agree. And here's the thing, you know, that 2020 season at Auburn, you're not replacing the, the Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson caliber of players as easily as you can in Tuscaloosa. And I think that losing those two guys was, was pretty big. But what I find interesting is I, I think about that defensive front that they had and what was what was so great about that defense. First of all, they were able to stop the run effectively. They were using a four-man front very consistently. That's what they ran. It was essentially a four-man front, like that was kind of the base, even though they had what was called the buck position. Jimmy, Alabama's Sorry. edges last year, meaning their outside linebackers, they dropped into coverage 146 times total between all of them. 92 from Dallas Turner. Obviously, he was by far the biggest guy as far as who they asked to do that. But Will Anderson Jr. dropped 27 times. Chris Braswell dropped 24. And then you've got some others, you know, who dropped once or twice who are more of the rotational, barely played at the end of games. You want to know how many times Auburn's edges dropped in 2019? No, no, I didn't. 26. 26. So 24 from Chris Braswell, 27 from Will Anderson, and 92 from Dallas Turner. Auburn in 2019 only had to drop their their edges 26 total times. And, and Big Cat Bryant was responsible for 17 of those. So outside of him, nobody was dropping more than once or twice. I think one guy had three. Derek Hall dropped three times. My point in saying that is it, I think it's been a problem for Alabama. Like, let your top pass rushers get after the quarterback. And the way that Alabama was scheming things defensively, they were in a position where they had to drop linebackers. And Kevin Steele is very familiar with making sure that you get your best guys getting after the quarterback in passing situations. But also, you had, like, bigger body guys. Like, Marlon Davidson was a 6'3", 270, you know, 8, 280-pound edge who played some inside in certain formations. But, you know, he also played a lot out there on the edge. Kind of Alabama's big nickel package, I guess is what you would call it. You know, Nick Coe was a 6'5", 290-plus pound edge player. Um, you still had some of those smaller bucks. You know, Derek Hall was never very big. But, you know, I think Alabama's got the personnel to make a lot of this work, man. Uh, I really do. You know, Jeremiah Alexander, we've compared him to Carl Lawson, who was Kevin Steele's first buck at Auburn. They're both similar in size and build and strength. I also think that he's very similar to a, a Jeff Holland. You've got, you know, Pierre, who's more of a Derek Hall, a little bit undersized right now, but could certainly hold a lot more weight. Keon Keeley is a guy who's more built for a 4-3 style of defense. 
So I think that when you start looking at the personnel, you can make a lot of these same types of uh, things work in Tuscaloosa that Kevin still made work at Auburn. Absolutely. And, and and even though, like you said, so many similarities in the personnel, deeper at Alabama, better at Alabama. I mean, he's going to have more toys at Alabama than he had at Auburn. Um, and, and I think that comes when you have more weapons, Clint, you can get more specialized. Uh, I mean, you can have your, hey, he's my second and seven guy, and this is my second and five guy. I mean, you you can have a lot of different packages because you trust more players. You, you have more players to play with. I think that's the thing he's going to have at Alabama. He didn't have at Auburn. He might have had, I mean, at Auburn or any SEC school, Clint, any SEC school, you can cobble together a pretty good 11 guys. You can find 11 that can play. But at Alabama on a de- on defense, there's more like 20 that can play. And that allows you to be extremely multiple, allows you to stay fresh, but, but it also allows you to be multiple. And I think that's what we'll see with Kevin Steele at Alabama is more toys, more packages, and, and maybe a, a broader thing than, than what he was doing at Auburn. But what he did at Auburn work and those numbers – about dropping and all that stuff. That's fascinating stuff. I mean, in terms of it's a real insight into Kevin Steele doing what Kevin Steele wants to do. Now at Alabama, you know, he's not he's not working for an offensive guy. I mean, his boss is is who more or less invented this scheme. So he won't be doing it won't be a Kevin Steele production. At Auburn, it was Auburn's defense by Kevin Steele. At Alabama, it's going to be Alabama's defense by Kevin Steele and Nick Saban. So he, he's going to be at the defensive meetings. He's going to keep his hand in. I also think one thing that's going to be helpful, you know, is, is I think Kevin Steele has the experience and the backbone. He'll, there'll be some pushback, which is funny. I, I hear that a lot lately of, about how we need somebody that's got some pushback against Saban. Why would we assume that Saban wants to do things wrong? <laughs> you know, maybe we shouldn't be. Maybe we shouldn't be disagreeing with Coach Saban. You know, that's just one thought. But that said, uh, what the best way to have the best group, Clint, is to have a lot of ideas and go with the best one. And, and let's put a lot of ideas in the room and let's do a lot of things and then let's go with what works. And I think there's every reason to believe we'll do that with Kevin Steele. Uh, and again, who has to enjoy, even at Miami, we sort of walked into a mess. People, people right now think of Miami's personnel as John Ruiz buying everybody, you know, in the in the in the collective and Miami's NIL work. Those guys aren't there yet. I mean, really, Kevin Steele coached the Manny Diaz mess. That's who he coached. He didn't coach all these brand new guys that that Miami's been out there, you know, giving the Lamborghinis to. Uh, that that's that's in the future, though, or or maybe he had a, a couple of freshmen like that. But don't no one needs to confuse Miami's personnel this past season with what he's inheriting at Alabama, where he's walking into a situation where he's got an all-American pass rusher in Dallas Turner and an all-American corner in in in, in Kool-Aid. And you can build off that alone. Yeah, a hundred percent. And see, kind of what I'm thinking, Kevin still is a lot more comfortable working in those four-man fronts. And just he he's found a way to kind of make it work where it fits kind of what Nick Saban probably wants to do, which is get bigger more consistently as far as your size up front. But how do you make that work as far as still being effective, getting after the quarterback and all those things? And and really, I was kind of putting together 
you know, a lot of the the successful guys in Kevin Steele's defensive fronts at, at Auburn. And you've got Derek Hall and you've got Carl Lawson and you've got Jeff Holland and T.D. Moultrie and Big Cat Bryant. And it's just, you know, Marlon Davidson and Colby Wooden and Nick Coe and Paul James and, and just a lot of those guys who are your bigger body defensive ends. The other guys were your bucks. And then you've got the interior defensive linemen like Derek Brown and Montrevious Adams and, and Dontavious Russell and Daquan, you know, Newkirk. And so you look at that and it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm grabbing like the top players. And then you compare that to what Alabama's got. And it's like, that was it. That was in five years at Auburn. Like, I think he's going to have, I'm not saying he's going to have all that at Alabama, but he's not going to be too far off. Like that's the kind of depth, the difference between Alabama and Auburn. And so I think that the style, you know, we talk about, you know, is, is, is Curtis Perry, is he, he's kind of a tweener. Like, you know, he's a little bit too small to be an interior defensive lineman in a three, four, but he's also too big and heavy to be, uh, you know, a, a three, four outside linebacker. Well, we don't need to think about it in those terms anymore because Alabama is running so many four man fronts. You know what he does fit a four, three defensive end, you know, who can stop the run because he's got the mass to do it, but he's also kind of twitched up a little bit and can play off the edge. Jordan Renald is a guy that they just recruited who, who is being listed as a defensive lineman. He's a little bit too big and doesn't have the, the, uh, the explosive traits to drop into coverage at outside linebacker. But, you know, if they get to where they're not really dropping their edge guys too much, he can be in a very effective 4-3 defensive end, which is essentially what it's going to be. Um, so just the personnel to me makes a whole lot of sense as far as the transition and getting more comfortable in four-man fronts. They'll still be listed as a 3-4 on the depth chart. Don't get me wrong. They're not switching that up. Uh, but essentially it's a 4-3 defense. It's not a 4-3. It's a 4-2, it's a 4-2-5. Uh, but that's kind of what you're going to be looking at. All right, that's going to wrap up today's episode of the Bama on Three show. We'll be back later this week talking a little bit about, you know, captain projections and all those things. Uh, we just weren't able to finish the rest of the mailbag today, so we are going to do two episodes. Just bear with us. But we appreciate you guys tuning in. This has been fun, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Once again, this is the Bama on Three show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb.